0: The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Guerrilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 231. I'm Paul Spain. And I'm Casey Eden. Hey Casey, great to have you along. Thanks for joining me. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. It's a good night. Now, for listeners that uh, haven't come across you before and you're a new guest
1: on the show, maybe you can uh, introduce us to where you, uh, where you fit in. Excellent. Hey, well, these days I'm uh, one of the co-founders and the general manager of neighborly.coNz. So I work out of an office in Newmarket with a a team there. We're about a year into a new project and things are going well, but we love opportunities like this to come along and talk about the tech world. Great. Well, definitely looking forward to hearing a little bit more
0: of the Neighbourly story. Certainly the interesting social network that seems to be uh, continuing to gain traction here in New Zealand. So, um, yeah, we'll dive into that a little bit later. But first up, a few tech stories have come up this week. One that I heard about in the last couple of days was iFlix. Now, we've heard of Netflix. It's, you know, pretty popular pretty much anywhere you can get it and, well, pretty popular where you can't get it too, actually. And, of course, we've got the other services like you know, Lightbox and QuickFlix and so on and Neon here in New Zealand. But it looks like iFlix is that sort of service but aimed at the Southeast Asian market. What are your thoughts? It's Apparently, it starts at under three US dollars a month. That's oh, got to be pretty attractive,
1: doesn't it? Oh, it does. But I mean, I think with all these streaming services, it's content. It all comes down to what content you have. And you can charge a ton, or you can charge not much, but people will ultimately choose your service based on what they can actually access. So I don't know, I'm not familiar with what they, they've actually got, but I think that is the key probably to being successful in that world.
0: Yeah, I agree. And if we have a look, they're starting with a chunk of content. There is a bit of info there online around what they're starting with, but I thought that their take on it was somewhat unique. So, the reason apparently they've chosen this three US dollar price point is because that's what it costs to buy a pirated DVD in Southeast Asia. So, they're saying, look, this is just as cheap as your pirated content, which is quite interesting because I guess. There are a lot of people in you know, some of the, these countries and they're talking about covering uh, Malaysia, Philippines, Vietnam, Thailand, Indonesia, where people don't necessarily have the sort of broadband that we've got here in New Zealand. Maybe the only connection they've got to the internet is through a smartphone. Uh, so people are going out and buying you know, pirated content on DVDs and And you can, you know, I guess I'm not sure that you can legally buy them, but you can quite easily buy that content in, you know, in stores in those locations. So by pitching at this sort of price point is interesting. But of course, you will need some form of broadband connection to get it or you're going to have a you know a pretty rough result if you're pulling it through on your tablet or your
1: smartphone only right well exactly and i think it's an interesting question you raise even for the new zealand streaming services it may be an interesting byproduct of some of the new streaming services we have which is that less priority material may be going out and i don't i don't know that for a fact you're probably hard to prove it but you mean going back to asia i guess the other issue outside of internet is going to be language you know i'm not sure if people's sort of Propensity to actually watch shows that maybe aren't in their native tongue, or maybe they're, they're very, you know, used to that. But I think when you talk about price, I mean, obviously, to get people through the door, you know, three dollars is a pretty attractive proposition. So if there's that, is something they're paying for each month, it does make sense to sort of target that. It's easy to understand.
0: Yeah, they, I mean, they've seem to have approached the sort of language one by, you know, targeting some, you know, chunks of local content as well as you know, having the international sort of shows that people be looking for as well. So, yep. you know, it's always interesting to see somebody doing something a little bit different uh, in this space. The Netflix model seems, you know, so successful in the countries that it has launched, and, you know, it's pretty challenging to compete with that. So, you know, something coming in, at a different price point with, you know, it seems to be a strong focus on, you know,
1: even competing with on price with pirated content is, uh, I think it's quite fascinating. Oh, absolutely. And and I think you're only going to see more of that evolution in New Zealand in the next couple of years. You know, we're really only at the the start of the process here. So I can't even begin to think what our stream content may look like in a couple of years' time. But one thing will be certain, it'll be different than it is now. Yep, and, you know, these things tend to keep evolving in a positive way generally, don't they? So I can only presume it's going to get better and better. If you look at music as probably the easiest way to to base this on, I mean, music has had a few more years of sort of the web-based services, and you think about the fact that some of those tools or devices that we did you know, the the systems, I mean, they didn't, and no one probably knew which one was going to take off. We were talking about Spotify before. That's an example.
0: Incredibly successful, yet they weren't weren't the first to think of a a subscription uh, music service, but... The unique approaches they've taken and the broad international rollout they've done has really, you know, helped them along their way. Apparently it's their third birthday in New Zealand this week. Wow, that's uh, coming about quickly. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, now we just take them for granted. It's just one of those things that's there. They've got their free sort of tier, so it's very accessible. They've got their partnership with, with Spark, which helps a lot of people, you know, jump onto premium access and now they're just in the you know in the process of that next phase, and we'll be seeing uh, yeah podcasts and and you know a range of other content sort of flying through their uh, their apps so um, yeah it's re- it's really interesting.
1: and I guess you know I know no not all artists love the concept, and I know some of them are quite anti it, but I guess when you brought up that content before about or the issue about pirated content, at least there's probably something going back to the artist, and so I'm not saying two wrongs make it right, but compared to sort of stuff being ripped off. For nothing, I'm, I'm guessing it even has to be a good thing for the artists ultimately. Like at least they're getting some sort of return.
0: Yeah, yeah I mean, you hope so. I did. I think Spotify has, you know, made it very clear that we're in a different world as far as music is concerned these days, and the amount that an artist gets back yeah. through channels like Spotify is a fraction of what it was when they were selling lots and lots of albums but you know ultimately those deals have been done with Spotify by the record labels on behalf of musicians and you know other than, other than a small few who have uh, chosen to stay outside of that most of the rest of the industry said yep we're we're on board with that, so they've got that choice, and yeah, it's it's interesting how many of them have jumped on board. Now, another area completely wanted to chat about. There's been a couple of interesting stories around car technology, and we'll probably dive into some of these a little bit more in a in a future episode when we've got the guys from the um, NZ motoring uh, podcast on board for another episode. But I saw at CES Asia. Now, you know, most listeners will will know about uh, CES Consumer Electronics Show. Uh, that happens each year in Las Vegas because I'm you know, generally there and, you know, we, we might do a podcast or two from there or certainly report back on, on the highlights. But this year they've just started doing a, a sort of a mid-year uh, CES in Asia. And one of the announcements was um, Audi showing off their R8 e-tron electric supercar. Now it can drive itself. So we're just seeing more and more of these, uh, you know, self-drive vehicles. So what's your thought on, you know, where this is where this is going? Do you you think this is the future and we'll we'll get used
1: to sort of sitting back in in our cars look I I ultimately do think that is the future but I think it's a lot further away than sometimes the media may lead you to believe I think there's a lot of factors that you know despite technology playing a massive part in in so much of our world I think about some of our roads in New Zealand some of the the strange conditions we drive and I think there's going to be a lot of thought that would go into how that self-drive technology would work in those areas however look you look at technology we use on an everyday basis and cars are, are one form of technology which hasn't changed that much over the last hundred years like we've yes there's been lots of changes and they're better and they're safer but ultimately the cars still kind of look the same as they did hundred years ago and I think something will change in that industry and I think self-drive or or certainly the energy sources they use I mean one of those things is going to change in a big way in the next few years and I think the self-drive model has a, has a big appeal but I just think it's a God, I couldn't even think about the amount of issues you'd have to comprehend to get to that point of being useful.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly enjoying seeing all of the technology Im- involvement in these things and we'll be reporting back next month on some of the new things that Ford are up to. I'm off to... Um visit their research and development centre in, um, in Silicon Valley, so quite keen to hear what they've got going on um, but another announcement that's just come in this week is around in fact it might, it might not actually it's not, no it's not brand new but that's come, come through recently is that Toyota are launching their new vehicle in the US which is the um, Mirai and this is they're calling it the world's first mass market hydrogen powered um, all electric vehicle and it can apparently do um, 300 miles, and takes five minutes to uh, refuel, and you know doesn't have any emissions other than uh, other than water because it's you know hydrogen powered, and it's going to come in around fifty thousand US dollars when it launches in uh, in October. Now this is fascinating because you know we, we've seen uh, Tesla and other electric vehicles coming to market, and we've you know we've come across varying yeah. Uh, you know, iterations and and discussions around uh, hydrogen vehicles, but uh, it looks like this one is actually going to um, you know going to be somewhat broadly available in the in the u s now new zealand we don 't have any you know refill stations for hydrogen, but mm. there are a few in the u s so do you think this could be you know could be the 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 start of that sort of big move away you know from from petrol? But, uh, you know, still with a vehicle that actually needs to be filled up and isn't, isn't just straight battery powered.
1: Well, I think, yes, in short answer. Because I think it suits us as as drivers to still have a place that we kind of stop in and, and get our services. And I, I just think that is almost easier for the public to understand. And I think when you start seeing big car brands, I mean, Toyota being, you know, one of the world's largest one, could be largest, I'm not even sure, but... Um, you know, when you start seeing that them getting involved with this, it becomes real. And then fifty thousand dollars I mean you go, Okay, that actually works too. Like that's within well, the there, realms. There are
0: a lot of people buying fifty thousand dollar cars today, right? It's, Absolutely. It's not a it's not a crazy figure.
1: And I think it you know, I think batteries for a lot of people still present a few issues in their mind about how that works, but presumably with the hydrogen car you're still gonna have a an indicator in your tank, you're gonna know where you live, and I guess as long as you know you know how to get home and you've got enough fuel to get there or you know where you've got to go it's going to be a more of a normal driving experience and i do think that the energy source of cars will be the the first big change as opposed to something like a self-driving and certainly i'd be really intrigued to sort of see where this goes and what the public sort of i guess popularity of it is once it actually launches yeah
0: um i would yeah love to take one of these for a spin they they look they look pretty cool um they're they're talking about selling around uh, three thousand um cars a year um over you know over the over the next couple of years so you know it's not something they're expecting to have a you know an immediate huge uh, uptake but you know I wouldn't be surprised if uh you know actually the you know the, those those numbers are on the very conservative side i wouldn't be surprised if they've you know they've they've deliberately pitched those uh low so yeah i, I think this is is definitely one to follow with interest because if it takes off in the u s if it if it works well there um you know it could easily work reasonably well in in new zealand um there are some challenges, I guess, around rolling out the um, the, the refilling stations because I understand it takes about a, it's a million dollars or so uh, US to you know enable a station to be able to um, you know cater to um, to hydrogen refilling, but because the vehicles have actually got a pretty long range, mm. it's not the sort of thing where uh, you know you're, you're going to run out of battery as it is with the yeah.
1: you know with the electrics, and so. Um, and it's a much quicker process to refill. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with all that. I just, to me, it just feels like a more natural evolution. Mm. you know. And I mm. think you mentioned the idea around New Zealand and, and how it would work for us. I mean, yeah, it would be a bit daunting for some of our service stations that are a little bit smaller to, to innovate in this area, but it's also an opportunity. And 3,000 cars, I mean, I sort of think about the amount of people in the United States who would consider themselves environmentally sound. The reality is... I'm sure in New Zealand we would have a 1000 people that would like to be on the the forefront of a environmental solution and so even if they market it purely at that industry I think a lot of people would like to be involved. Yeah, definitely definitely. Um
0: all right, well uh yeah, hopefully we get uh we get to have a bit of a play with some of that uh technology. Uh now, another another story that um just cropped up that I I found uh found interesting. Um was that some research has been done around um, factory resetting of of smartphones? And I guess I probably do this more than most people because I get sent a lot of phones to to review, and and some of those I'll hold on to uh, longer term. But you know, a lot of them, you know, are just here for a week or a month or, or two, and and then they go back, or you know, somebody else is going to have a have a have a review on them, uh, etc. Or someone else around the office wants to have a, uh, have a go with them. Um, so invariably, you factory reset that and you and you hand it on, and you kind of think, well, it's good, it's all clean, everything, everything's sorted. Um, but apparently, there have been some some issues, and uh, the this uh, story that's that's come up um, is that Cambridge University have done some uh, some some research. And they're um, estimating that a large chunk of, um, and I I think their testing has only been on Android devices, so we we don't know uh, about other platforms, but um, a large chunk of Android devices are um, basically unable to uh, wipe themselves properly when you choose that factory reset option. And most of the data is actually still sitting there. So you know, if someone was very determined, they potentially could uh,
1: recover what you thought was, uh, all your confidential information thought was wiped. Yeah, look, and I don't think it's unrealistic expectation for people to think that information should be wiped. However, I guess a lot of us who probably work in the tech industry also know that tech trails probably aren't as easy cleared as you might think they are. And I guess it comes down to probably people having to think about what they're putting on their phones and what they're using online in general and sort of understanding, hey, if you wouldn't put it on the fence outside your house, maybe you don't put it in the tech world because nothing's certain. And, you know, I I do agree the factory reset probably should mean what it means, but at the same time, that doesn't actually surprise me because I think it's like a lot of laptops that are critically failing. There's still something on there. There's some information from God knows how many years ago, and I think most people would accept that it's almost impossible to clear everything. Yeah, it
0: is a fascinating one. I mean, you know, with our PCs and laptops there are some processes that, that go through and, and wipe those they do vary. Now, I was um looking at the the wipe process on uh on an Apple Mac. And if you've got an SSD drive in there as opposed to a, you know, traditional uh, spinning hard disk, um then then the secure arrays option is is quite different. And, you know, they, they give their reasons on, on why it's done that way, but, uh, you know, certainly you start looking around online and people are saying, mm. well, yeah, I'm not sure if this is entirely safe, so, look, here's a here's a process uh, to, you know, trick the system into allowing you to do a, um, you know, write lots of random other data or, zero, you know, to blank it out to, to, to zeros on the um, SSD, et cetera. so... Yeah, I I think you do have to be cautious about g what goes where and um you know how you dispose of technology too. And you know, we we think of uh things like um you know copiers and that's you know one of the things in, in my business we've often got uh, customers that are installing a you know a new device and maybe getting rid of the old one and if you don't go through it, some sort of secure arrays process with that uh, you know, often these things have got a big hard disk in them, so you've got a multi multifunction copier, printer, scanner, etc., sitting in your office. Um, yeah, you know, depending on what information has has gone through it, uh, a lot of that could still be, you know, accessible. And you've returned your machine back to somewhere, and a new customer's got it, and uh, you, know, you get the right sort of geek at the other end, and uh, they they could be, you know, drilling through all your personal stuff that uh, you know, might be
1: sitting on it somewhere. Yeah, it's it's an interesting conundrum, this one, because, you know, in general, it probably calls into question a lot of technology, you know, the pros and cons of technology. And, look, I personally, and this is just my view, I tend to look at the the benefits I get from technology and kind of say, look, there's the odd negative along the way, but I think about the life that I live now and and how I can live it with the technology that's available that wasn't there 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, and I'll live with the odd little thing I don't agree with. Now, in saying that, I think personal responsibility is still key and and making sure you make good, common sense decisions about how you store your information, no different than how you store it in a hard copy format. That's the number one thing. And look, I do, once again, it's everyone's own perspective, I guess, on the internet safety issue, about where they live on the spectrum and in terms of what they want to access versus what they're concerned about. Mm. Um, for those, Anyway, those that are um,
0: interested in, in that whole area, um, there, there's, a, there's a movie, and I don't know the best way to um, uh, to get hold of it, um, it was called Spooked, and uh, had Cliff Curtis in it, and uh, was written and directed by Jeff Murphy, so local uh, local thing, filmed here in Auckland, and um, it's based on a, on a true story um, arising from a mysterious death of a, of a guy, uh, Kevin Jones, who um, was buying some second-hand computers, but ended up there being a whole lot of data left on them, so an actual sort of true story that happened locally, yeah. and... Um, yeah, it's a fascinating story. Anyway, so if if you're into these sorts of things, then uh, then check out the movie. I'm sure I've mentioned it before because I I quite, I quite enjoyed it. Um, now back back to the uh, the other topics. Um, oh, just uh, a, a little thing that I that I came across from uh, from Microsoft, and they they do seem to uh, be working very hard to keep coming out with uh, you know. New apps and 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 bits and pieces to keep us interested, and uh, you know across all sorts of platforms. So you know, very much uh, iOS and 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 Android uh, apps, uh, and they've been putting a big effort into Microsoft Office recently, which yeah, now seems to work. You know. Pretty, pretty good on uh, on mobiles and, and tablets.
1: Have, have you used it at all? Yeah, look, and then, to be honest, a year ago I wouldn't have ever thought I would have used Office again. Yeah. And in recent times, I have used some of the cloud-based tools. And I must admit, they've they've come a long way. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So the the one that I've I've just
0: been reading about, and I haven't uh, haven't tried it out myself yet, um, is called Microsoft OneClip, and uh the 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 concept is it's a uh, a clipboard for the cloud so yeah basically you copy something on your mobile device and actually i've i I've, I've had this requirement in the past but i've i've never sort of put it together and thought oh someone should come up with an app for it but um yeah you you've got some information that's you know on your smartphone you may be at your you know at your laptop whatever you're at another device um, but this will allow you to capture that on one, and just to pick it up on another, and have this sort of you know smart copy and paste um, that, that keeps a level of history and so on as well, and and is all synced via the cloud. So you know you can move things from one device to another, do a screen capture on one uh, on your smartphone,
1: and then you you know pop that into something on your on your PC or your Mac. Cool. I mean, um, look, there's obviously similar tools that have existed in the past, and we're a, we use a lot of Evernote in our business as a sort of a both a process, I guess, to keep track of what we're doing during the day, but also for some of that cross-platform ability. Yeah, and, um, it's great. And, and look, same sort of thing. I mean, you know, take a, a photo of it, some text on a board, and all of a sudden I can have that text available to edit in another platform. So it all makes sense. And look, like we're big cloud users. We always have been, even probably before we should have been, before it was even a really in a robust system. But yeah, the yeah. ultimate thing is, for me, every, anywhere in the world, anywhere I go, I've got availability of information, and that's it's important yep absolutely it's uh It's getting a lot
0: better isn't it to uh, to have that sort of flexibility to work from where you want to work And, you know, not be so constrained by, you know, where's your server? Yeah, Uh, yeah, particularly as our internet, you know, gets better and better. And, you know, we all complain that it's not getting better quick enough and we want, you know, our UFB where we are right now and uh, we want 5G uh, mobile internet and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, you know, the the, the cloud tools and so on are... um, are evolving
1: pretty constantly, aren't they? Well, yeah, and, and some of the companies that we come across that aren't in the cloud space, I mean, I feel like it's a, potentially a real big business issue for them now. Like, their ability to be flexible and respond to changes is difficult. And so some of these big guys especially, it's very hard to change overnight for obvious reasons, but it is a real big issue for them because they want to access new technology, especially some of that collaborative stuff that, you know, teams can work on together. And I think about the documents in our workplace, some of the, we use a lot of Google documents, you know, we might have a spreadsheet that has... Three thousand lines on it. We all want to work on it at once, sort of thing. I mean, I just I couldn't but think of being in office again, where that wasn't possible. Where it's like, yep. no, I'm going to save it, and then you're going to access it later, sort of thing. Like it's it's mind boggling. It? Like, yeah,
0: yeah. No, it's great being in a world with where, where things have uh, moved on. Now, talking new technology, um, I've got on my desk something which we're not really going to dive into this week because just arrived this afternoon, um, and it's something that was announced last year by Amazon. It's the Amazon Echo. Uh, and it's a tubular-looking uh, speaker that you keep plugged in and uh, connects through uh, via Wi-Fi to the net, and you can you know basically ask it all sorts of questions and interact with it, and it'll play whatever music you want it to play and so on. Um, so we'll dive into that um, hopefully next week. Um, but something that that also just came onto the uh, the radar, uh, and this was uh, reported by uh, who picked this up? I think it was uh, Tech Tech Radar. I was looking at it on. Um, is that Google have filed a patent for um, smart toys, and they're referring to them as as in the style of of Amazon Echo in terms of the the, the technology? So things that you'll you'll interact with via your voice. And uh, the the two pictures were quite funny. I thought um, there was a, a little. Um, yeah it looked like a bunny rabbit soft toy and a little teddy bear uh, but the interesting thing is yeah these have got microphones in them the uh, uh the eyes on these soft toys are uh you know a little cameras uh you know speakers obviously and um you know some some little uh motors in them as well. And um, yeah, it looks kind of fascinating. Um, but yeah, lots online saying, uh, man, these things look uh, look more creepy than cute. So I'm, uh, I'm kind of curious, wonder what uh, what Google might have up their sleeves.
1: Yeah, well, I guess Google being Google, they sort of have the ability to, to start a lot of things that may never actually end up being something that hits the market. And I guess that's some, some of the part, probably the fun and what's responsibility they have in the tech market. Those those toys did look a bit creepy, to be fair, but you know, I'm sure there'll be people that would quite love to have the ability to have one of those in a children's room, potentially, and be able to you know, interact with the children. If they're not at home, we'll be able to see what the children get up to. So they may have a decent use, and perhaps if they weren't in a software format, we wouldn't think much of it. It just seems to be a little bit creepy that it is a toy. But I, know, I guess the thing with Google is they try a lot of things, and one of them will come out the top.
0: Yep, yep. Oh, uh, well, and I haven't made any announcements, to yeah. be fair. This is just something that's come off uh, you know off off of off the patent records, yep. so uh, it may it may be nothing they're they're really covering their bases on something that uh, someone 's come up with now Casey, time to jump in and uh, and hear a little bit about neighborly now, maybe you can start with just a description you know what is neighborly where does it fit in amongst all the other social networks and we're used to these sort of global social networks the facebook you know uh twitters and and linkedin um where does Neighborly fit in, and yeah, uh, you know, what what have you
1: been what have you been up to? When did when did you get started and so on? i would like to hear a bit of the story. Oh, absolutely. So uh, we class Neighborly as a private social network. So it uses a lot of the same sort of formats as the likes of Facebook and LinkedIn, but targeted at a different market. So what we like to say is that friends and family will use Facebook with you. you know, your professional contacts will use LinkedIn with you. You might use you know, Twitter to follow interests or, or people that are celebrities, etc. You're interested in. And where Neighbourly fits in is it's for your community. So it's a network you share with people who you live close to, and you may not share anything else in common with them, but you do share that one important thing, which is where you're based. And it was an idea that myself and and Shane Bradley, the co-founder, we sort of started talking about back in late 2013. We were sort of looking at a problem in our own lives, which was simply that we had all these connections around the world, yet we were terrified to meet the the 84-year-old lady down the road. And it was something that had evolved quite quickly in our lives from being reasonably... I guess, and when we grew up in Rotorua and Nelson, uh, you know, we knew our neighbours, and all of a sudden, in 10 years living in Auckland, we didn't know anyone. And we were lucky enough at that time to run into a website overseas, nextdoor.com, and we've never been against, you know, copying something which looks good. And and they'd sort of stumbled into this idea of private social networks, so we we took the best parts of what they were working on and launched in New Zealand sort of middle of last year. Great. Now,
0: yeah, I, I, you know, came across some, yeah, somewhere thereafter, and. Uh, yeah, joined up to to have a look as I as I do. I, you know, I'm quite curious about social networks having you know having launched one myself over a over a decade ago, and uh, um, you know poured huge amounts of money into the into the concept, um, but you know not not having been successful in monetizing it. So you know I'm I'm quite curious in terms of you know how that journey's been and how you funded it. Because you mentioned uh, when we were chatting earlier, you got about 15 people. Yep. Um, so, you know, how, how have you got to that point? And, um, you know, what are, the, what are the prior things that have, I guess, helped, uh, you know, get this moving along and, and helped you get funded and so on?
1: Well, um, the first thing is it's a slow journey. You know, social networks, I think very rarely do you see one that springs up overnight and you see the odd one get very popular, but then they fades away again. To build that longevity of... Of user, you've really got to build a use case which takes time. So, we're in this for the long haul. Um, where we came from though is that uh, we were initially self funded by uh, mostly Shane Bradley and myself. And, and look, Shane has had a number of successful businesses over the last uh, few years, mostly in the web space. Grab One was probably the one most people know, uh, finder.co.nz. There's been a couple of other ones, but those are the two that most people will know most of. And I guess that was the initial funding platform for us. And we were lucky to have a good bunch of guys and and just generally speaking knowledge that allowed us to springboard, I guess, a little bit quicker so we could call on some developers straight away to get involved with the project. And that allowed us to get moving a little bit quicker. Um, In recent times, we've had a first round of funding from Fairfax media, which has been great. Um, They've been really, really supportive of the the long-term nature of the venture. And uh, look, we look forward to working with them for a, well into the future, but I guess for us, we've also had the experience of doing this three or four times before. So it just helps when you're encountering issues that you might have seen last time, and you kind of go, "Oh, I've, I've encountered that problem before. I've seen this happen," and and off I go, and it allows you to get through some of those tough times just a little bit easier. So, looking at your membership, how
0: you know how's that growth? Been and how do you go about getting new members? You know, where did you start? Tell us about that sort of, you know, startup phase and and how you sort of built in the local community and you've sort of built it out to actually nationwide.
1: Yeah, well, the the first thing is we started in a very small area, and for anyone in the web space, please do a soft launch on anything you ever launch. It's just not worth going out into the public domain with probably what you consider to be your, your number one platform. And we've seen it time and time again when people have done that and there's a flaw that they're not aware of and it tips them over. So we started on five suburbs, very small, deliberately, out where we lived, kind of in East Auckland. Um, once we and, and to get started, I mean, we literally had to hit the streets. We walked around with, with flyers. We we have a particularly unique system on Neighbourly and it's not that whiz-bang, I guess, because the reality is we send letters out. So neighbours can actually invite other neighbours via letter. So if you don't know your neighbour and you don't know how to you know, email them to invite them to the network well we physically can send them a letter and we pay for these letters to be delivered in the letter boxes so it's quite expensive but it's a good way to get that message across and um, we attended fairs. we spoke at many groups anyone from church groups through to you know elderly groups you name it we spoke to them. and you have to you've got to get to the grassroots because you've got to find those those core users that, that are going to be your leaders and your early adopters and really you know, graft forward with the product so the only way to get started was to get into those people's lives and then they One by one, started telling people in other suburbs, and that's when in June last year we kind of went national. We had this core group of users that we could sort of trust to spread the message correctly. That's great. And what's your what's your membership numbers today? Oh, sorry, yeah, one hundred twenty thousand. That's great. Yeah, so look, you can always be harsh on yourself and kind of, oh, you want more, you want more, you want more, and we do. But the reality is, is that we're signing up you know three or four hundred people a day, which is a good number. You know, it means that we are. Yeah, you know, we know we're not gonna force people onto neighborly the first time they see it. It might take two, three, four years and, and we've got to remind ourselves that businesses like, like TradeMe and, and even Facebook, I mean after a year they were a shell of what they turned it out to be. You just gotta remind yourself that, hey, people might not like you on day one, you can't worry about that. Just keep on evolving and understanding what they need and they'll come back or they'll they'll eventually, you know, join up.
0: Yep, good. So what are the what are the things that people are doing on neighborly at the moment? Why why would you know somebody listening in um other than their curiosity to keep up with the play with with what's happening, um, why would they sign up? What sorts of things might they uh, you know benefit from from, from being part of Neighbourly, from, you know I guess, your experience yeah. right across the network? I've got my experience, which is reasonably small, but you've probably got a bigger,
1: much bigger picture view of it. Yeah, well, I think it's a, the way I start answering that one is we, there's a couple of rules in our business we always talk about when we make decisions. And then with the website, we always talk about private, local, and relevant. And I guess local and relevant are the two words that, i like to start that answer with in the sense of what we're trying to design. There's plenty of places in the world to go and get information about what's happening either in Auckland or in the global environment. It's actually quite difficult sometimes to find out what's happening five kilometres around your house. So what people are doing on Neighbourly primarily is, is they are talking about things that are local, and it could be crime and safety events, which is great if it is because it's very engaging topics, but obviously we don't necessarily want those things to happen. It could be lost pets. It could be someone looking for a recommendation for a babysitter. It could be someone giving away an old couch. It could be someone looking for some advice you know, about some gardening tips. I mean, it's the stuff that, that neighbours can help each other with. It's not necessarily always going to be super interesting, but it's a place you go when you need information. And look, one of our future kind of goals is obviously in that local business area is connecting up locals with local businesses because we just think that's in a really important part of, of the business economy. You know, I think so many of us would love to use services from people who live in our neighbourhood or live around us, but they're sometimes hard to find. And so that's a really important part of it. We also have a lot of organisations on the site, so that could be council groups or... um I mentioned, you yeah, know, New Zealand Fire, those sort of people. I mean, they're posting too, so it's a great way to keep up to date with those people.
0: Yeah, I've, I mean, I've seen notifications about, you know, there being roadworks and different yep. things that are going to happen, you know, within the local area, so you're able to plan for those and, you you know, you get that notice. And, you know, I guess looking forward, you know, longer term, and in fact we're, we're, where we're sitting now in the office, uh, you know, we've got a notice Last week, and I'm not sure how it was delivered, but it was on paper saying, "Look, we've got you know some some works going on in the street. We're building this the new cycleway, and uh, look, you know footpaths could be closed, etc., etc." And you know this was a you know physical bit of paper. Now you know that seems to be part and parcel for how a lot of communication still happen around these sorts of things at, at the moment. Uh, and you know we've had similar things if they're maybe filming a, a TV commercial in the area or something, and yeah, someone goes door to door. Um, yeah, I could see that. You know, ultimately these things have to have to you know utilize technology a bit better, don't they? So you know, I see some benefit there. Um, one of the one of the things that I've seen in, in our area uh, with um, which was relevant to us, is uh, we've got two huge feijoa trees. So. Uh, you know, when it's Fijoa season, we've got all these Fijoas that you're thinking, ah, oh, you know, what do I do with these? We can't use them all up. And, you know, last year we were, you know, putting boxes and bags of them out on the street and people would just come and take them. And then, you know, we, uh, we realised after other, we saw other people on Naverly saying, hey, we've got some Tamarillos, we've got this or that. You know who wants to trade and so on and, you know it 's kind of fun you, you know you 've got your home grown fruit that you can maybe swap swap for others and and maybe get to know some people in the you know in the local neighborhood and as you say, we don 't maybe connect with our neighbors like we you know we probably did in New Zealand sort of ten or twenty years ago. Um, yeah, everyone's so busy, and you know we're, we're used to uh, social interactions that are maybe a little bit more electronic these days.
1: Yeah, look, I think simple is, is what I take from that is that you don't have to think about using neighbourly or even connecting with your neighbours in general—all these complicated things. It's just once in a while you might be surprised at what people around you can actually offer your life or what you can offer them. And I, I personally think New Zealanders are very friendly, but we're also a little bit standoffish. We don't necessarily make that first sort of engagement with someone. And I guess what neighbourly we're just trying to say is, hey. Don't be scared to reach out because the chances are you actually share things in common, and the Fiji, I think is a great example, you know otherwise that's going to go to waste, but someone else in the neighborhood possibly is going to get a lot of enjoyment out of those, and it's just a really simple thing you can do, you know we're not asking you to become best friends with your neighbors, we're just sort of saying, hey, maybe there's something you share in common that can make your both your lives easier,
0: yeah, yeah, and I mean there are things that just wouldn't be useful on you know on Facebook or on some of these other. Uh, social networks because they don't drill down to that sort of uh, localness, and you know, yeah. some uh, yeah, some some crime in our area, unfortunately, recently, um, and yeah, neighbourly becomes you know one of those channels that, that you hear a little bit about what's going on, and uh, you know, it, it's. In some ways, you would prefer not to know, but yeah. actually, you know it is good to keep, be kept a little bit of, informed about what's you know
1: what what's going on in in the area, isn't it? Oh, absolutely! Look, I'm the same out where I live in East Auckland. You know, I was surprised when I actually we got going and how much crime there was, and it forced me to re reevaluate re- re- some of the stuff I do in my home to make sure that we're safe. And it's good in a way because you actually you you get there, I guess, before the incident. But it's also a little bit scary. But look, the one thing I honestly believe in with crime is that. The neighbourhood itself is the first level of defence, and we've got you know, wonderful police. We've got all these people that help us, but truly, it's the people who live around you that offer you the first line of defence. And so, if you guys can know a little bit about each other, I think that can only be beneficial to those scenarios. Good. And you know, what's the what's your trajectory? Where you
0: know, where are you thinking that that neighbourly can go? Because I guess you know, hundred thousand, hundred and twenty thousand members uh, today. Is there a particular scale that you think? Um, you know you'll be able to um you know be successful from a monetization point of view because with any startup you know there's an element of it that uh you know is 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 fun um there's an element of it that it's work but you know ultimately for all of that to uh to keep going uh you've got to have the uh the funds flowing in right
1: Look, absolutely and i think but some of those questions answer themselves in time and we have three goals at the moment. The first one is members, we've just got to bring more people to the site. You know, we've got to get critical mass in suburbs that don't have them. You know, we're very strong in Auckland, Wellington, Christ, etc. We've got to get stronger in some of the smaller areas. Um, we've got to get those people engaging on the site. You know, twenty years ago people were probably excited about databases. And it's not about that now, it's about what they do on the site, the activity they have, how many times they come to the site. So we've got to make that, you know, a successful part of what we do. And the third one is quite right, it's commercial and we call it commercial potential. You know, we're many years away from probably being in a situation where we can actually break even but at the same time we've got to start understanding how we're going to do that because look we are we've been honest since day one we are a, a business and we receive amazing community support and we hope to deliver more than that back to people in terms of a tool but we do have to make this stand on its own two feet and yeah we could have gone out and got some community funding from the likes of councils or for trusts but ultimately that would have been funds that were taking off someone else and for us now, it's about trialing all sorts of monetization options. We're not sort of committed to one path or, an, or another one. How many people we need to make that work? I mean, it's an interesting question. I feel like you just keep growing as quick as you can until those numbers start flattening out. Then you work out in a way what you do with that those people. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. You know,
0: I, I I guess whatever you do, you know, you've got to be, you know, you've got to be cautious, don't you? Yeah. Because it's very easy to sort of upset your membership with the way that you commercialise things and. Uh, you know, we've certainly seen this with Facebook and 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 Twitter and so on. Just you know, annoying users with uh, um, how they've introduced those elements. So
1: it's you know, it's very much something I guess you have to be cautious with. Oh, absolutely, and, and it's our number one concern to be honest, because it's the single biggest problem for both ends of the site. We either annoy the users or we don't produce enough funds to stay in business. So you really can't win, it feels like. But look, I guess what I can assure people of on that is the onus is on us to get that balance right. Because if we go and put too much advertising on the site, then all of a sudden we lose users. Well, we haven't really achieved anything long term. So we're going to go nice and slow. We're going to be very steady. And I guess our goal long term with advertising is that it's relevant to you locally. So... You might not see hundred ads a day, but hopefully the couple you do see are businesses in your area that you actually you like and you know of, and, and that's our point of difference, I guess. If we get it right moving forward, yeah, okay, and
0: um, yeah, looking looking at others overseas that have um, you know launched networks that uh, you know uh, target the local community and so on. Um, you know what what are you seeing there? Because. Um, yeah, you know, there there are some lessons you can learn from those, but also you don't want your, you know, you certainly don't want your future to be dictated on how successful or unsuccessful, um, you know, others others may be. And, you know, I think every, every, you know, every market's
1: probably unique in its own way. Yeah, look, and I think that lesson applies to a lot of, you know, tech or web startups. I mean, I think about back in Grab one days, you know, we were very close to follow Groupon for a start but as you evolve and as you learn your own market you start to deviate away a little bit doesn't mean you don't keep an eye on what they're up to because chances are that they've probably put a lot of testing and thought into it but you do start thinking about how your market needs to evolve I guess relative to the products they're putting out there and no different with that uh, with neighborly you know com is kind of the website that we base ourselves on from the states um, but as we've moved forward in the last year you know we've started to build some things that they don't have and likewise they've got some things we don't have and they've got Dare I save a lot more money to invest in certain parts of the site. So we still follow what they're up to because obviously they can teach us a few lessons. But we also know that we ultimately are a New Zealand business, a New Zealand website, and we've got to make sure we get the market right here, not just blindly follow them because we like what they're doing.
0: Absolutely, and uh, you know it's often not the case of the you know the biggest entities sort of getting getting things right yep. as well. And uh, you know we look back quite a few years, and uh, yeah, eBay were. Uh, you know, trying to compete in New Zealand and you know, they you know, even though they were around I guess before uh, before Trade Me, um, you know, they they weren't certainly weren't able to nail uh, the New Zealand market and um yeah, what what Trade Me has done is uh you know been cr- incredibly successful.
1: Well is it, and your point actually is something we're talking about just today in the office, you know, yes we watch Nextdoor but we watch Facebook, Trade Me, just as much, you know, LinkedIn because ultimately people don't know Nextdoor, they haven't used it here. So we're actually better to try to base some of our stuff we develop on Facebook. That's actually what they recognize they're or they're familiar with. Yeah. Or even trade me for that note, yeah. like business categories and stuff like that. It's you know, why, why go and build your own business category list? Do you say that? Those sort of sites probably have some good insights on in how that's structured and what people understand. Yeah. So no, you're absolutely right. You're actually, you, you take the best part of some of the sites that are doing what you're doing overseas, but then you make sure that you still look at what people are used to here. Hmm. That's great. Um,
0: Anything else that we should uh, we should be keeping an eye out for, for from from you? Anything else in the in the story that we've missed?
1: Oh, no, not really. Um, in, in our office, we're lucky enough to have three or four exciting businesses. We're sort of almost a little mini tech startup in our own right, so it's a really great place to work. We've got um, Pet.co.nz, which is a joint venture with the warehouse, which is all about sort of pet food and then pet products. Um, the other little business I'm associated in is it's called Goody.co.nz. It's a little... Um, Loyalty card type of business. If so people go to cafes, restaurants, et cetera, they can take in their smartphone or a, a little card and that get, allows them to put up points. The idea being you don't have 20 coffee cards in your wallet. So that's a bit of fun. And that's something which will hopefully link into Neighbourly in time. Sure. But no, we, look, we, we just enjoyed working in New Zealand. You know, we think it's a great place. There's always opportunities. Um, that I Personally, what's been really good for me in the last couple of years is the support from other business owners. I've been really pleasantly surprised. Like, I think people understand how hard business is. And I think other business owners as opposed to being competitive, sometimes they just want you to learn from their mistakes because I think in turn you do that for other business owners. So now I'm I'm excited about what the future holds and you know we'll continue going as hard as we can with Neighbourly and if it works, that's fantastic and, and if it doesn't, well, we're not going to be for lack of trying. We'll get on to the next thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's exciting. Well, thanks, Casey. really enjoyed it. Now, where do we
1: track you down online? Are you on Twitter or...? Uh, look, I'm not a um, it's ironic considering I'm, I'm a big part of a social network. I, my social network's Neighbourly. That's the truth of it. But yeah. um, look, I, I am very... Uh, Possible oh, you can get anyone can get hold of me on, on email for a start. So Casey yeah. at Neighborly dot I answer all my own emails, and I take great pride in that because I like to know what people are up to. Great. Um, yeah, I do have Twitter. I'm a big Facebook user. I'm obviously, Neighborly, LinkedIn, etc. Um, I, I, I don't know why I don't use Twitter I actually quite enjoy reading Twitter I just don't tweet a lot I just I guess I feel like especially since Neighbally's been in place that's where I do my social networking yeah, so I should yeah. believe in what I do Yeah. but look I'm also a big believer that all these networks have their own place and um, we just love chatting you know one thing I've always been taught is you take meetings with anyone who wants a meeting because you just don't know who they are and what they might bring to the table and it might not be this year or next year but in the future they may be a great partner of yours in another thing so look come in we're a new market we invite all people to come and see us and, and get involved. That's really cool. So,
0: um, neighborly. dot nz is is you know where to find you. Now you've got apps also
1: across well Android and iOS at yep, the moment. Exactly. Yep. We um, look for us. They are that always works in progress. We've finally been able to get a couple of extra team members in the last couple of weeks to help you know up. So it gets, it's faster on the build of those. But no, we've we definitely got apps and obviously all the responsive web platforms too. And um, we're trying our best to make sure all of those move at the same speed so that everyone gets the same user experience. So no, very much. And we love technical feedback. you know. In all the startups I've been involved in, one of the things that definitely happens is you go blind. You know, you get blind to yourself and yep. you've got to make sure you listen to people because you just get in a bubble. And, and, so please, feedback is great.
0: Excellent. Oh, it's a, a great attitude to have. That's cool. Cool. All right. Well, um, thanks, everyone, for listening in. You can uh, catch us again uh, next week. I'll also be on uh, Radio Live uh, this Thursday between um, 8 p.m. and 9 p.m. with, uh, with Karen Hay. Uh, and uh, you can track down our other podcasts at podcasts.co.nz. All right. See you. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Guerrilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT.